Excuse me, boys. What's going on here? It's the classic guitar rock podcast. The fuck more than anything that I've ever fucked before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this could be a really positive experience for you guys. I wish you could just shut your big yapper. I don't think there's anybody back there. I'm here to tell you all that life as you know it has ended. Well, there's your problem right there, Vern. You see that little wire right there? Looks like he's got a little... Hello again, everyone. It's good to have you with us for this event. It figures to be an exceptional one, one that doesn't need any buildup. Up there in the wild blue yonder, I'm known as the Gray Eagle. And this is my co-pilot. That's right. I'm known as the Brown Pigeon. Captain the Bridge. Spock here. Any signs of life? Negative. I gotta tell you, fellas, you have got... What appears to be a dynamite sound. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. You're ready to move up. Before we start, I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now, your host, Jeremy Lunnan. Yeah, we don't know anything about that fellow there. Who is he? Where does he come from? It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I am Jeremy, and man, I am super excited about today's episode. Graham Bonnet has always been one of my favorite vocalists, and we will be uh, sharing an interview. It took place actually last Saturday from when I'm recording this, so April 2nd. I had a chance to sit down with with Graham, and and it was a fun interview. So I'm excited for you to hear that. I do have just a few little updates I want to uh, give you before we get to the interview. So we've started producing a weekly radio show called The Classic Guitar Rock Time Machine, and it's launching on three great internet radio stations, and we'll be adding more along the way, but we are starting with three. Uh, we're starting with the, the Mad Music Asylum, Tweakle Radio, and Zenith Classic Rock Radio. Uh, you can Google those guys, find them, check them out. They, they'll probably have a schedule of when they're playing those. But this uh, new weekly radio show, again, it's called the Classic Guitar Rock Time Machine. We do what it sounds like, right? We kind of go back in time and pick a year, and it's an actual music show. So it's not us talking about music. It's us actually playing music, and there's some fun stuff thrown in there. So kind of me revisiting my radio days. I would actually worked in radio from about 1986 to about 1996. So for about 10 years, I was actually in radio. And so this gives me a chance to pretend I'm in radio again, (laughs) but I'm the program director and the music director. So I picked the music and it's a lot of fun. So check that out. We will be adding more stations 
uh, over the coming weeks. And, and this is just a fun way to actually hear a lot of the music that we talk about in kind of a fun, fun format. So check it out. It's a classic guitar rock time machine coming to a great internet radio station near you soon. Now, I, I want to make one other little observation before we get to the interview. I recently made a trip, two day trip. I live in Spokane, Washington. I drove down to Idaho Falls, Idaho, which is about 540 miles and back. So not at all. I did that over two days. So all the way back yesterday, I listened to Rainbow. I just had my Spotify on and I was just shuffling Rainbow. And, you know, I have always been aware of the rainbow hits, right? I had a rainbow greatest hits album and I loved it, right? I love the Dio stuff, the Graham Bonnet stuff, the Joe Lynn Turner stuff, even the Doogie White stuff uh, I've liked, but it was interesting because I had about an eight hour drive. So for eight hours, all I did was listen to rainbow. So a couple observations. First of all, rainbow is kind of like deep purple. And yes, I mean, they have like a hundred live albums. They apparently recorded every concert they ever played and released it as an album. <laughs> and some of the live recordings are not good. It's like, why would you release this? It sounds like crap. I'm not talking about the playing. I'm talking about the actual recording is really bad, but there's tons of, of live rainbow recordings available. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. So note to Rainbow, note to other bands, you don't have to release every live recording you have. Just throw that out there. But let's talk about the studio albums for a minute. I wasn't aware of how good all of these albums are. I mean, I don't think I heard a bad song in eight hours. I did skip some of the live cuts that sounded crappy. But in terms of the album cuts, it's all good stuff. And I know I know. Ronnie always kind of slammed the stuff that came after him saying it. Oh, it's too commercial. Richie wanted to be foreigner or journey, which is true. Richie wanted to have a more commercial sound, but the Graham stuff and the Joe Lynn Turner stuff is really good stuff. And of course, the first three Dio albums are, are, are great. And so <clears throat> I just wanted to say this before we get to our interview. Graham Bonnet is probably my favorite lead vocalist. Uh, Graham Bonnet. Uh, Rob Halford, Sammy Hagar, those are probably my top three vocalists. Uh, so I, I would say Graham Bonnet's my favorite rainbow vocalist, but I think my favorite rainbow album, you know, as I think of the songs on the various albums, I think my favorite rainbow album is probably Long Live Rock and Roll, which is the last one with Dio. Uh, does that make sense? I think it does. Cause, cause, when you compare body of work, you know, everything Dio did with everything Graham Bonnet did, I, I personally prefer the Graham Bonnet stuff because Graham was with Rainbow and Alcatraz and Michael Shanker and Impelitary and solo stuff. But Rainbow, if you have not listened to a lot of Rainbow albums, if all you know are the four or five Rainbow hits, man, dig deeper and check out Rainbow. Their whole catalog is really good. I really enjoyed my drive back. Uh, any of you that have driven I-90 through the middle of nowhere in Montana know that it's, it's beautiful drive. There's nothing to see <laughs> except, you know, mountains and, and, you know, antelope and deer, you know, that's great. But, uh, 
as far as a road trip, one of the best road trips you could make is is driving through Western Montana. And I was listening to Rainbow the whole time. It was it was pretty awesome. So, guys, thank you for joining us. And when we come back, our interview with the one and only Graham Bonnet. basement can be a lonely place. Hello? Hello? Is anyone in here? Yet, at the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, the basement is all that Jeremy and John have. Their wives don't want them geeking out on classic rock in the living room. Can you blame them? But you can help. For as little as $3 a month, you can become a supporter on Patreon join today and end the cycle visit patreon.com slash classic guitar rock they'll still be in the basement but at least it's not your basement hello is anyone in here mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All the classic rock you can stomach. It's the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Graham, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about the new album. I believe the new album is done. I've seen the the Imposter single. The video is awesome. So when can we see the the full album? When will we be able to check that out? It's May... What's the date, Beth? May the album release. Was it May what? What's the album release date? May the May thirteenth. Yeah, the talk on the good. Yeah, May the thirteenth. May th- you had to check with the boss there. I, I saw that. Yeah, okay. I'm terrible with dates and people's yeah. names. And, you know, everything is supposed to be lousy as you get older. You know, I am older. Well, <laughs> well, I, you know what the the imposter video is awesome and so when i heard that song i'm like this is going to be a great album and i i gotta tell you i really like the last alcatraz album i haven't been able to obviously haven't heard all of the new album yet but how are they different what can we expect to be different about the new grand bonnet album versus the last alcatraz album yeah i think uh, to say an awful phrase which i hate is like it's a little bit heavier if you will the production Mm -hmm. sounds more modern um, okay. I had a great microphone to sing on, by the way. This fantastic microphone that picks up every nuance of your voice. And uh, I, I couldn't believe it, how clear it makes everything, clarity. But also the band was, um, I don't know, we went to make it a little bit, um, you know, more more ballsy. And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. happening. It sounds very modern. And um, everybody, actually the people I've spoken to are saying what you're saying. It, it just sounds better than the albums before, just the overall sound. And I think we what we went for is uh, we've actually uh, captured that. You know, we wanted a, 
all still walks out. And I think uh, with the first single, I think that's a taster of what's to come after Imposter. Some of the other stuff is sort of, to me, a little bit um, even more, you know, scary. But not too, <laughs> not like that. But I mean, no, it's great. And I, and I think uh, for those that have been paying attention, right, the Imposter video is great because there's some um, – some references to Graham Bonnet's career. You know, yeah. there's kind of the kind of the scene where it shows the kind of the reflection of the younger Graham in the yeah. mirror. I just very well yeah. done. Yeah. yeah well, the, the, the beginning part has uh, like the um, TV sets in the background. Mm-hmm. That's me from when I was uh, 29 years old or whatever, um, or even younger from uh, 19. Yeah. So all those wow. things are all frames of me when I was, the first thing I ever did, uh, you know, that was of any success was with my cousin. We were called the Marbles and um, the Bee Gees wrote out songs for us because my cousin used to be in the Marbles. I mean, in the Bee Gees before they moved from Australia to England and uh, they separated, you know, they separated for a while. Then we found, you know, Trevor found the Bee Gees and we, uh, I got to meet them when I was 19 and they wrote a song for us which was amazing and it did really well. Uh, but all the other stuff you see is, um, yeah, a little bit later. You know, yeah, I, and, I was doing solo stuff later on. And it's funny you mentioned the Marbles and the Bee Gees because actually I had a question about the Bee Gees and you kind of just oh, yeah, yeah. answered it. That's that's fascinating. And I believe, yeah. I believe if my history is correct, uh, Richie Blackmore had seen that Marbles video when it was a hit or – yeah, they, we didn't call them videos back then, but he yeah, he was yeah. aware of that only one woman song from way back. Yeah, and when the when the time came for looking for a new singer, he's like, "Who's that guy from the Marbles? Let's find yeah. him." Yeah, that's all I hear. He he sort of uh, was joined to the rest of the guys because they were playing the game. That that's where you heard the song again. They're playing the spot the tune game, mm. and Cozy had a. A cassette. <laughs> remember the cassette? Yes, I remember. Uh, yeah, they had a cassette. Put it on. They, they were so bored. They played games every night because we're in the middle of nowhere recording the um, what was to become the Down to Earth album. And mm-hmm. uh, they put uh, my track came up and uh, somebody said, what, what happened to this guy? And um, oh, I heard he lost his voice and whatever <laughs> and doesn't do anything anymore. But I got the audition and went to the audition and passed the audition, you know, which was kind of surprising to me because I thought, well, I didn't really fit with this band, you know, because before that I was doing, you know, R&B stuff and, um, you know, pop gear, pop music, uh, which I love. I'm, nothing wrong with playing pop music, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, it's all the same notes, just as a different kind of uh, way of putting all the notes together, you know. And I found out that because I was scared of going into a band that sounded so kind of classical. And um, I was wondering how I should sing on it and where do the verses go and where does the chorus come in? You know, mm-hmm. so Roger Glover, <laughs> Roger Glover <laughs> helped me out. Bless him. You know, we sat and you know we went through different melodies for all the songs of the album on the album, and uh, you know, but at first I, I really didn't think I was right. I went back to London and I said to my manager in London, I said, you know, I'm not right for this band. They, they need somebody with the long hair and the flowing robes, and mm-hmm. it ain't me. You know, because Co- Cozy Powell, Cozy Powell at first called me the bank manager because I mm. I said. <laughs> I turned up with a, a gray suit on and, a, you know, the whole thing. And, uh, but, you know, it's not the way you look. It's what you, what comes out of your soul or your body. But now a lot of people look like me. They've all got it's their hair totally, short. 
And I, I, uh, you know, 1982 was when MTV first came to my house and I'm like a 14 year old. And I can remember the funniest thing. I'm sitting in front of MTV and my mom wasn't into rock music at all, but guess what video is on? It's a rainbow video with uh, Graham Bonnet singing since you've been gone. And my mom walks by and she goes, well, that looks like a nice clean cut young man. <laughs> Which of course I am. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, but it was just, even my mom noticed that guy doesn't look like all the other guys I see on your records and stuff. Right. And, and I just yeah. thought that was very funny. That was one of the things that was unique about Graham Bonnet. He didn't look like everyone else. No. Um, which is which is so funny because this whole image of rock and roll is they have a uniform, they have a look. Yeah. You're supposed to have long hair. You're supposed exactly. to do this, exactly and yet that. here's here's Graham Bonnet, who looked completely. He was he was the original, right, in the sea of all these long haired, mm-hmm. you know, heavy metal bands. It was just it was just funny. Well, so you know that's ahead. what I, that's what I was saying about you know I didn't feel I was right because of the way I looked and the way I dressed because I, I very much into like 1950s rock and roll and all that kind of thing you know and R and B basically and I had this um, which I to this day still wear the same damn clothes um, right. not, not the one, they don't smell but but I mean um, you know I still had the same uh, kind of outfits you know suits right. and whatever as you've seen on the on the video mm-hmm. you know that's me. I, right. I wouldn't change, you know, Richie was a bit upset about it. Richie Blackmore was, you know, wanted me to grow my hair, as you, you know, it's an old story now, but uh, mm-hmm. I didn't want to because that's not me, you know. And I said, you know, well, do you want my hair or do you want the voice, you know? Well, you got you got my mom's approval. You got my well, mom's yeah. approval. So, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm choosing my words carefully, and I don't mean it to sound negative. All right. You are kind of, since coming into Rainbow, you're kind of, I'll use the word pigeonholed. You're kind of pigeonholed as a hard rock guy. Yeah. But but your background, you already mentioned, in the marbles, you know, is a more pop, more yeah. R&B, even some soulful stuff that you did before that. Yeah. If it were all up to Graham Bonnet, yeah. would you be doing the hard rock thing, or would you be doing more... R&B or pop or what do you think? Well, anything, you know, I mean, when I made albums, it wasn't, I didn't choose the tracks to be in any certain genre. I just sang whatever came along, you know, I mean, I did like Al Green's I'm Tired of Being Alone, you know, things like, Mm -hmm. and Will He Still Love Me Tomorrow, that thing, you know, that's what got me the gig with Rainbow, by the way, that was, Mm. uh, that was uh, Richie's favorite track. When I used to go to his house, he would be playing, I was like, what are you playing that for? Because I like it. <laughs> we have been doing it on stage a couple of times as well. You know, like, oh, I like this song. Just good songs, but of every different kind of genre, really. Not one particular... Yeah, I'm pigeonholed. Now mm-hmm. I've got to be... Rah! You know, yeah. I sing high notes and very loud. But I'm not always like that. That's not... To me, that's not singing. That's, uh, I like to give my voice, you know, uh, a bit of room to stretch a bit, which is... I've always done since I was a little kid, you know. When I when I started singing, I was uh, listening to the radio when I was about seven or something, and Mario Lanza was my favorite singer. And uh, I would go, be going around the house, and my mum and dad would laugh at him because I'm going, ah, you, you know, doing, doing all this. this yeah. You know, but then this big voice came out, 
which uh, I I guess it comes, comes from my mom or my dad or somebody. But, but anyway, that's what I started singing. And so mm. that I, because I started so early, about seven years old, I think I developed that. And I also had the, the luxury of having big lungs that my granddad, our, our granddad Bonnet had a huge chest, which I mm-hmm. kind of have. And so this <laughs> voice comes out because I've got large lungs, as they say, right. not large tits, but large lungs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, something I've been very uh, lucky to have to be born with because the, when you have the air, you have the, you know, you can produce better notes at lower tones, you, know, you can use better vibrato, etc. And, um, you know, as some, some of my friends got older, singers, they smoked, they drank, and, you know, all the wrong things, you know, gain weight and etc. And, uh, of course, smoking in, you know, it will cock up your breathing for a start. I, I'm asthmatic, but um, not through smoking or anything, but uh, I'm an asthma sufferer. And uh, it's not easy sometimes to actually produce a good uh, vocal sound. But um, I work on it and I, I listen to everything Ooh. I do 2,000 times over when recording. Go, no, no, let me do that bit again. That one word, you know, which everybody does, you know, <laughs> to make a record. You know, studio is uh, really it's under the microscope. I'm, I'm going to ask a question. Then there's a follow-up question. The song, for, first of all, you have had the opportunity, you've played, you know, and you've af- had to answer all these questions. And, and I vowed, Graham, I will not ask you the questions that you get asked every single interview. Uh, so um, <laughs> you are really underrated as a lyricist. Oh. And I'm, I'm going to give you a few examples. Yeah. So, okay, one of my all-time favorites, Desert Song, mm-hmm. uh, Star Car Lane. Yeah. Uh, Kree Nakuri, mm-hmm. General Hospital, and the one I really wanted to ask you about, which I think is autobiographical, it's a true story, is Skyfire. Yeah. Uh, and so first, for for those that might not be familiar with the Skyfire, this is the, the second Alcatraz album with Steve yeah. Vai. Yeah. Uh, the Skyfire is the song I play. You don't know this, Graham, but I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a Graham Bonnet evangelist, right? All of my friends, I say you're going to listen to this song, and I yeah. play them. I play them Skyfire. Yeah, Skyfire comes in with this smooth, yeah, Everly Brothers type vocal line, smooth, yeah. a pretty pretty voice. And then all of a sudden it turns into a blowtorch. You know, it's like, it's like, like you flip a switch and yeah. I play that for people. And I say, just hold on, hold on. Yeah. Cause it's that smooth. And then, and, and to me, that's, that's the, what you do better than anyone you sing. It's very powerful. It's, it's got kind of a rough edge and then, you can go right back to Silky Smooth. And that song, vocally, it may be my favorite Graham Bonnet oh, song. Really? But Thank you. From, yeah. from the lyric, you just have such interesting lyrics. And where do you get the ideas for, you know, Sky? you can tell us about Skyfire. Yeah, but sure, yeah. the, the other songs are, are not typical hard rock fare, no, subject matter-wise. 
you know, like like what the way I appear, you know, my my image, my dress, whatever, whatever, the way I dress, the way I look, is um, anti heavy metal, if you will. But but right. I'm not anti heavy metal. Yeah, but you know, I look as though I'll be singing. She gets too hungry. Hey, word and you know what I mean? <laughs> I look like a lounge singer or a bank manager. But, You're right. <laughs> but you know, I when I make up a song, I want to look for a subject that is interesting and something that I've experienced, I've seen on the news or whatever. The Sky Fire was something that happened when I lived in, um, let's see, where I lived in Calabasas at the time here, mm-hmm. and um, near the uh, Topanga Canyon. I don't know if you know this area very well, that area, but anyway. And uh, I was watching TV, we're, you know, sitting around just watching TV, and uh, there was this little light in the sky, a little green dot. And uh, I watched the green dot, got bigger and bigger until it became like a big oval shape. And I said, what the fuck? You know, I said to my then wife, I said, what the fuck is that? You know? And she said, I don't know. But it was like, it was like the sky was on fire. And it was mm. over towards the be- towards Malibu, you know, the, where the beach is. And it was over there. And a lot of people at the beach were reporting it, you know, and what were, you know, phoning up and asking what the hell it was. Uh, I don't know what to what it was to this day, but it mm. looked like the sky was on fire and it got bigger and bigger and greener and greener. And it was like, what the hell? I have no mm. idea what it was, but the sky was on fire. Then it, it suddenly, it just went away, just sort of dissipated. And it, it was just a puzzling thing. But on the news, people were, you know, going, well, don't worry, it's nothing. It's not something, you know, it's not a bomb or whatever the hell. Right. Nobody really knew what it was. So that's where the song came from, because I like to report on things in, that I see on TV or whatever and about real life instead of, um, you know, um, sort of mythical beasts or exactly. pulling the sword right. from the stone. I like real stuff. Real life is sometimes more scary than a dragon. But one I wrote, one I wrote with Michael Shanker recently was about Alzheimer's. Mm. It's called The Beast That Lives in the Shadow. I mean, that sounds very... You know, like that. <laughs> it's actually about Alzheimer's because that took mm. my dad and it took my brother, and that's what right. the song is all about. And uh, that mm. was chosen for a single a couple of years ago when I was playing with Michael and recording with him. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering a little bit about that creative process, Graham. Whether mm. whoever it was you were working with, you play yeah. guitar. You probably play some other instruments, but does a song begin with you? does the lyric come first? Are you playing along on your guitar? Mm. Is it based on a riff that your, your guitar yeah. player, how does that happen? Yeah. It's basically like that. If I have something, I play on my acoustic, I have an idea for a melody or something. And then I pass it on to the e guitar player, right. whoever that might be at the time. And then, then other times it's uh, the guitar player will come in with a, you know, a whole fucking riff that goes on for about 12 years. Yeah. Players. And you go, okay, we'll let it down. A bit. <laughs> and that's the way I make up songs. You know, they send me, a, you know, an arrangement and I put on my melody and my words. That's basically mm. how it's done, very simply. And right. uh, as I said, I, if I play something on my goose out of arrangement, then they take it their way because they play better than me. And, you know, yeah, they play that groovy, wiggly, wiggly stuff, you know. Exactly. And I and Graham, you have to forgive me because I am like I'm like a kid in the candy store because there's so many of these songs that I've wanted to talk to you about. So hopefully you're okay with me asking some of these questions. So Star Car Lane, 
Star Car Lane lyrically is one of the most unheavy metal songs ever. <laughs> and and one of my all-time favorite songs ever, ever. Is it Tell me about the inspiration of that song. Well, that's me talking about being a little boy and going to Starcar Lane where my grand, grandma and granddad lived and spending time there. You know, we mm-hmm. had a, a kerosene lamp on the table, no electricity, no TV, but they had a radio. So we'd be playing dominoes. These, This is all in the lyric. I know you probably right, know. I don't, right. you know. So the kerosene lamp lit the table. And I'd be drawing. I did a lot of artwork there when I was over there. I had a big artist pad. And uh, my mom and dad and grandma and granddad would be playing dominoes, which I joined in with later, but I wasn't that into it. And we'd be listening to the radio. And um, that's what, what that's about, Stark High Lane and the rabbits and all that stuff in the fields. Yeah. I used to go out in the morning on my own to the cornfield that had been, you know, the combine harvester had been by, and all the rabbits were running around grabbing what they could. Mm. And I'd go and see, take my granddad's little uh, terrier dog out there, and he, she'd be chasing them while I watched them run away. She never got them. Mm-hmm. I made sure of that. But it was, it's basically that story of what I, what I went through when I was about, um, I don't know, uh, nine years old, maybe, something like that. I like the melody to that. I think that turned out pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. a wonderful song. And I mean, it is such a juxtaposition with the lyrics compared to the riffage going on. Yeah. It's a, it's a brilliant yeah. song. It's a brilliant song. And so I always get a little frustrated when people, they'll talk about how great a singer Graham Bonnet was. They'll talk about how great Malmsteen yeah. or Vi or Shanker is or whatever, which I agree. But mm-hmm. those are just some great, songs that don't get appreciated like they should i i think they're phenomenal so go ahead people never listen to words they don't listen to the what's going they always go what's that about well just read it you'll know what it's about because it's a story you know from top to bottom like the next Mm. single we're doing is a story about um somebody i knew when i was at school it's called Mm. uncle john which is you know what what's that about you know but uncle john was um he was actually a teacher at my school, and um, everybody loved him. He was a substitute teacher. Everybody loved him. He looked, uh, you know, had a nice suit and all that kind of thing. Um, everybody, the girls especially, loved him. You know, like fourteen-year-old girls, whatever, or thirteen-year-old girls. But there was something strange about him that I didn't know about at all. It was creeping me out. He sort of creeped me out a little bit. The way he was, he was too friendly with some of the kids, mm. and when he left. Uh, there was a newspaper article about this pedophile that had been picked mm. up and put in jail, and it was him. Wow! So that was, that's what this song is about, and it kind of it's very heavy and it's really musical. It starts off in three four three four time, but ends mm-hmm. it's got four four in there, and it, the, the you know the actual time signatures change all the time. It's very cool. I love it. So we did the um, video three days ago, I think it was, wasn't it, Bethany? Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Bethany, me, Conrad, and uh, Alessandro, and uh, Shane. What's his last mm-hmm. name? Galas. Yeah, I can never pronounce his name. Shane Galas. <laughs> was an amazing drummer. I mean, the intro to the song is him playing this really odd timing. It's a great track. I love it. Not, not because we made it up, but there's something. It's very unusual. It's not your, you know, your everyday so-called heavy metal thing. Right. But it's not it's not a sweet ballad. And this yeah. guy went to jail anyway, and I couldn't believe it was him when I looked in the paper. I went, it is him. That's our teacher. Mm. 
yeah. the the scope is so one of my favorites scram mm. is bigfoot okay that song is just number one it's one of my favorite guitar riffs you know oh, it is yeah but, but even i mean it's i mean i just i've always been impressed that graham bonnet will write a song about anything and it, and it and it works <laughs> I you know I'm doing it yeah <laughs> Yeah, I want to see it. Yeah, I've, I've written. Um, uh, let's see. I'm doing an album with Jeff Loomis, the fantastic guitar player for uh, Graham Bonnet's Alcatraz. I, but mm-hmm. the, my main my main baby is uh, the the GB band. But this is going right. to be a, probably a one off with Jeff. I don't know because he's got other. He's doing other stuff anyway. You know, mm-hmm. he's very successful in what he does. But he's a great heavy guitar player, and he comes up with some great arrangements. So I've made up now. Um, we're thinking about doing a 10-song album up to number uh, five now. I've had that for a couple of months, but talk, you know, the subject matter is very variable. There's a bit of no. everything in there. As much as I love Ronnie Dio, he was kind of one-dimensional in terms of, uh, you know, let's sing about Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, that was kind of his deal, exactly. right? And, and he That's was awesome. I, in. I was anti that, always anti that, because I didn't see it. And I thought the costume that those guys wore, I thought, well, no, I'm not going to dress right. in spandex pants and have a robe <laughs> and all this stuff. And grow. I mean, I had long hair when I was a hippie back in 19 bloody 60, whatever it was, 1970. Mm-hmm. I, I got over the long hair by the time I was about, uh, I don't know, 20 something years old. And uh, kept it ever since. But it, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I can't do that. It's right. funny to me. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk. You know, why not write something like Jack and the fucking Beanstalk? That's what hey, it is. Fantasy. Hey, there could well, be a Jack and the Beanstalk song in your future, Graham. That's, that's, that's it. It's not in me. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone knows Graham Bonnet has played with some of the best guitar players in the world. Yeah. I'm just going to ask this question. When you look back to all those phenomenal musicians, not just guitar players, you've played with mm. phenomenal keyboard players and you just yeah. have drummers, the drummers Graham Bonnet has played with. When you think back over your career, Graham, yeah. what what are the highlights? When you think of the, 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 the most fun you were having, when was the time that you were enjoying yourself the most in the creative process, working with the, musicians mm. when was that well i think that really begins you know back in 1968 when i was working with the Bee Gees of all you know mm. because the first record we had out was called only one woman and i remember going into ibc studios in uh, portland place in london and doing a la la track for that thing and with barry and morris and robin all standing there right next to me listening to what i was going to do and uh I, you know they went Oh, yeah, that's good. And my cousin, who was my partner in the Marbles, <laughs> yeah, he said, um, Graham, why don't you go up there? He said, I know you can do it because we, you know, we've been singing since we're, you know, little kids, me and him. Mm-hmm. And um, so he said, yeah, I know you can go up there. Do, what, what you should do is change the melody a bit on Barry's melody. So, you know, he was okay. He was comfortable with the Bee Gees because he used to be in the Bee Gees when he was in Australia. So they were very comfortable to get all of them. So, he gave me this high note. Oh, man, well, uh, oh okay. So it's like um, it was a C sharp. Actually, I don't mm-hmm. know what the note is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not really up there, but he, for back then, it kind of was, you know. And then when the final version came out, it actually went, we, we did it, it goes up to a D, which is above C sharp. 
So mm-hmm. it's pretty high, you know, and uh, that became part of my freaking, you know, vocal range. Everybody said, oh, can you do it where you go really high? But that, that's a happy time. I'll never, ever forget it. The time I had with those boys, you know, the, you know, the, the Gibb brothers, I was watching them this morning, in fact, on uh, YouTube or something. And um, they've been great musicians ever since they were little toddlers. You know, to mm-hmm. see the three of them singing in harmony was like amazing. And my yeah. first uh, recollection of really having a great time was singing with those guys at their manager's house. We're singing all together. We're doing Beach Boys and Stevie Wonder and a bit of everything. But we're right. just fucking perfect harmony. Because, yeah. you know, my cousin was harmonizing. I was singing sometimes a lead or sometimes Robin was singing lead or Barry. And it mm-hmm. was just such fun. And I wasn't even thinking about being, you know, famous or anything, but that that comfort I have with such beautiful music and great mm. voices. You know, I know the Bee Gees aren't, you know, heavy or anything, but they're great musicians. Barry Kibb is one of the most prolific writers I've ever known in my life. Have you kept uh, in touch with Barry at all? Have you kept in touch I, with I've Barry? Been to, Barry's very much keeps himself to himself. Mm-hmm. I've been in touch with uh, their um, tour manager or manager, if you will, um, all the time, I write to him and say, well, what's Barry doing? Yeah, well, he's doing this and he's doing that. Because I asked him at one point if Barry would write a song for me, you know, and we'd sort of heavy it up a bit or something. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, well, he's too busy now. He's doing, a, you know, he's doing his own albums because he's on his own now, Barry. And right. Just him. I miss that time so much. I was saying yeah. to Beth this morning, I miss those guys, the the, the Gibb brothers, because we, we always used to be together. So, what was that transition like going from, going from you know, from the marbles to to, to, yeah. to then all of a sudden you're in rainbow and not just in rainbow, but oh, by the way, we're going to headline one of the biggest yeah. rock festivals ever. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, when when I eventually became comfortable with rainbow, I, I will say that's another good time I had because mm-hmm. there was no every time we w- went on stage, I didn't feel nervous. I felt very comfortable. I, I've said this a million times in other interviews. It was like walking into my mum and dad's house and a warm feeling when, when I heard that audience go, you know, whatever they did when we walked mm-hmm. on stage was just so comforting. And I, I felt safe with the, I might be tired or whatever. And I knew that, that these guys behind me were going to kick me in the bum. You mm-hmm. know, if I was a bit, getting a bit lazy, they would, name of a song they, they'll get a bit so you know they would punch you know guys yeah. would look at me and go come on go on you know whatever yeah. but it was the most a safe feeling i've ever had on stage you know to go out in front of i don't know eighteen thousand people or whatever i'd never been on the road before ever mm. except with my cousin we did in the marbles like maybe four gigs all in the london area you know and not very successful i must say nobody came <laughs> but yeah. uh, but we had a hit record but uh, that's uh donnington the castle donnington thing that was is burned in my memory forever my family I just was there, there. my brother my mom and dad uh my friends from school etc and i was very proud of myself that night but i was also very tired and uh before we went on stage i was talking to don airy and he said i'm fucking knackered graham he said how do you feel i don't feel and because it was a sad night because of uh, Cozy leaving the band he was going to leave that night and he Mm. did, we tried to convince him to stay but what a fucking show I watched it 
you know, like a little later after we recorded it. And I thought, oh, I'm not about watching this, but it was okay. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was, you know. It's it's really good, you know, and <laughs> know. obviously the 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 down to earth stuff that's yours, yeah. right? It's awesome. But you're doing like Stargazer and Man on the yeah. Silver Mountain. And there's just something cool about seeing a guy in synthetic. Uh, <laughs> you're wearing, I think you're wearing red pants. I think I you're was. wearing cool. yeah, red, red cords. <laughs> red cords. And there's just, I mean, that's the coolest thing ever. Uh, and it's just, it's yeah. phenomenal. Um, yeah, it's great. I, I'll never forget it. I, you know, I'm very proud of that. I really am. Because I, for for one reason, I got to sing in front of my mum and dad, and they saw the band play live for the first time, yeah. and they were just blown away. You know, how much work goes into Rainbow? All those intricate parts, guitar and keyboards. It's like you can't beat that. You can't. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I didn't have to sing really. <laughs> I but I the think vocals are all right. I would love. I, I, I'm thinking of this just, you know, off the top of my mind. Between between Graham Bonnet and Don Airy, okay, these are two guys that have played with more awesome musicians, I think, than any other two yeah. people on the face of the earth. And <laughs> and and then to have you both together is awesome. I, I just think that's really cool. Really, yeah. Cool. Well, Don's a great friend of mine. I, I, you know, I, I always say like me and Cozy and Don were like the Three Musketeers. We always mm -hmm. went out together. You know in the daytime sometimes, you know, to get away from the band situation. And, uh, you know, I miss Cozy a lot. But yeah. I still have Don. And, uh, I mean, Don has done a, a track on this album. In fact, Don, it's mm. a Don Airy song on here. Don Airy and Graham Bonnet. Yeah. For the first time, I've never written a song with Don before. But there's a song on the album that uh, he sent me the, uh, the track. And I mm. did my bit, you know, and it's turned yeah. out pretty well. In fact, the whole the, fucking album's turned out well. I've, I'm only basing it on the first single, but I, I'm, yeah. I can't wait. Can't wait. Uh, that's, fucking, the that's a great fucking song, though. I love it. It's an awesome song. It's, and, Not because and of just, me, but because of the way... Well, yeah, because of me a bit, but you know what I mean? Yeah. The whole... It's just great song. Whole, um, I like... It's heavy, but it's got some of that keyboard element that I like yeah. so much from Rainbow and from Alcatraz. Yeah. Lineup, your lineup album, John Lord was on that album, right? Yeah. Didn't he yeah. play? So John Lord, Cozy Pal. I mean, what a what yeah. an awesome uh how can you lose? History. I mean oh, that, that, that album was uh the lineup album was so much fun. It was really great to make because every morning we'd all come in at the same time about nine o'clock in the morning, which was surprising to me because of those uh, naughty boys going out at night sometimes. <laughs> but we all, we all arrived at the same time, so everyone was eager to play. Well, they're getting paid anyway. But right. um, I remember a story I've told before, but John, John Lord came in one morning. Um, he said, good morning, gentlemen, who is to his very British accent. Good morning, gentlemen, how are we? You know, <laughs> oh, we're, we're okay, thank you, John. You know, and, uh, you know, the baffled boys and... I had one place where I was sitting and, you know, everybody has their little area in the studio and John had his area boarded off. You know what I mean? Those boards that you put around people when they're playing. I've forgotten the real name of it, but those things. And mm -hmm. uh, this bag rattling <laughs> and vodka. <laughs> boom, 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 beer. Gentlemen, the bar is open. That was John Lord's good morning. And so it was. 
<laughs> and mm. but you know, even though we'd all had a bit to drink or whatever, the fucking album turned out great, I think. Yeah. You know, but we only took it so far. We didn't get shit faced. That was typical John Lord. The bar is open. Yeah. <laughs> his fake posh accent. <laughs> so, so Graham, um, you know more than anyone. The music industry's completely changed from the from the seventies, mm. right? Uh, yeah. Specifically, things like you know, people people listen to music differently. They don't buy albums anymore. We've got yeah. s- streaming now. Is it is it better or worse today? You know, I don't want to sound like an old fuddy duddy, but I think I think it's worse. People listen to the little, you know, they don't get the full blast of uh, nice stereo you know things like that mm-hmm. i mean they do if they you know, put money into it but most people listen on headphones and i'm yeah. always surprised how they can get any you know feeling from that you know i always like to have the feeling of the speakers and the bass and everything you know what i mean pumping out right. you. not that i have any equipment like that now i don't i listen on headphones too you know i'm as bad as they are but it's right. um Everything's manufactured to death now. That's another thing. The audio yeah. tuning is like over the fucking top. And there's people going into the studio who can't fucking sing at all. And you, know, right. and you, hear, you hear the auto tuning. They don't even disguise it. And right. awful. Um, I, I just can't. There's nothing inspires me very much about what's happening now with a lot of uh, music. Because it, it's not the way I remember it. And I don't want that to sound like my mum and dad or something. But they weren't that way. They loved the Beatles when they came out. But I mean, there's not a Beatles out there. Uh, I'm waiting for that to happen. It hasn't. The first yeah, time and- I thought the Beatles would come along was when I heard Queen for the first time. You know. Now that's good. Remember, Graham, you would you yeah. would buy an album, and it was a it was a tactile experience, right? You'd have the album. Yeah. You'd lots of time. It was a gatefold. It would open <laughs> up. You know, it was yeah. a piece of. It was album art, right? Yeah. You'd, you pull out the the disc. I remember my daughter a few years ago when I brought my my records out of storage. She pulls out these big vinyl discs and she says, "Dad, what is this? Is this like a giant CD?" <laughs> you know, it was completely foreign to them. But vinyl's coming back, right? Which is yeah. good. But but yeah. the idea of now you just buy one song at a time or you stream a song, yeah. they're missing out on that whole, whole experience. Story. The whole you put the needle on the record. Yeah, like you're saying, you, you open that that thing, you fold it out, and there's all the words. Yeah. And the photographs of the guy, the Beatles album, you know, Abbey, Abbey Road and, you know, um, yeah. Sergeant Pepper. I remember getting that album and just fascinated by just the photographs. But yeah. When I heard the music, you know, Lucy and all those songs, bloody hell. Mm. I mean, that was such a great album. But yeah, mm. it's it, the smell of it too, as you opened it, the vinyl and the. Well, I think we're putting out a vinyl too, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, we are, yeah. I will be buying it on vinyl. Yes, so as soon as it comes out, I'm buying it on vinyl. Did you ever think, Graham, as you're singing with your cousin in the marbles, did anything ever cross your mind that when I'm 74, (laughs) I'm going to be still putting out not only albums, but hard rock albums? Did that ever even cross your mind? (laughs) Yeah, obviously the hard rock. Well, I wanted to, um, you know, now I've made it my career since I was, you know, 19 or whatever and got paid for it and was on TV all the time doing interviews, etc. I I really didn't think it would ever end. And Mm. uh, I don't want it to. I mean, if it ends, that means I'm dead. 
Mm. And I don't want to do that either. That's not very good. I want to be mm. above ground for as long as I can be and keep on writing songs that are always in my head every day. But I never thought I would be so-called well, well known. I'm not famous. I'm known, but not, you know, like a household name or anything. Mm. But I never mm. thought it would come to anything. I thought after the marbles, uh, me and my cousin split up. I thought that was it. I started doing sessions and, you know, commercials. And mm. um, I thought my life was over sort of as, a, you know, someone who was uh, seen on TV and visual all the time or whatever and was newsworthy. So, but then I got offers from a lot of different bands, which I was really surprised. Uh, ELO was one of them. Uh, I went to hear all the ELO music at um, Philips Studio in London. Jeff Lynn and Roy Wood were there, and um, they offered me the job. And my girlfriend at the time said, oh, no, 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 don't do it. You'll be on the road all the time, you know, lots of women. <laughs> she didn't want me to do it, and I turned the fucking thing down. Yeah. ELO, what the hell? But I wonder how that would have um, gone, though, with me singing instead of, um, you know, basically Jeff Lynn. I told by one of the guys in ELO later that Jeff did, like, everything. He didn't want anybody to be too involved. All the arrangements were his ideas. All the vocals were, well, yeah, obviously him. He wanted me to um, also play bass because I think Roy Wood wanted to play cello or something at that wow. time. But Roy Wood didn't join the band. Um, but and, the one, and I said, well, I'm not sure if I can, I, you know, I, I, was, I played session bass, you know. I said, I don't think I can do that and sing at the same time. You know, right. I can play guitar and sing at the same time, but not bass. I don't know. It's like a drummer singing. How the fuck do they do that? You've got to have that feel, too. The, the bass feel is completely different to a guitar. You know, even though it's a percussion instrument, you know, if you're playing rhythm. Right. You know, I'm good at that. You know, I can do the mm -hmm. percussive kind of rhythm stuff. But I could never... Well, with the bass, I was all right. I, I haven't played bass properly for a long time now. But I would get booked to play bass and do backing vocals. That's the wow. thing I got booked for with sessions. And I thought that's the way my life was going to be. So I know this is like uh, this is like me asking you to pick your favorite child here, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Oh. <laughs> when you're when you're doing your your live set, is there particular songs you you enjoy more, or or from particular bands yeah. that you enjoy doing the most? What are your favorites to do live? Um, well, I like doing only one woman from the from the album from. You know, awesome. we do that once in a while. We play that mm -hmm. because it's, in a, well, especially when we play in America, nobody knows what that song is. They, you know, well, what's that song? After shows, I've been asked what, what that is, you know. And so it's the first song I ever recorded in my life, basically, you know, seriously. But I like, um, oh, man, there's so many bloody songs. Uh, there's so much, I guess, from the Rainbow Year, I would say, like, Lost in Hollywood, Eyes of the World. Oh, there's a bunch on there. I, I like the right. whole fucking album. Um, it's hard to pick because I can't yeah. go back that far. My mind isn't working uh, properly this morning. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there was some stuff I did when I was, um, let's see, in the Marbles was this track I love uh, called A House Is Not A Home, which is a big orchestra thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, then later I did the Al Green song, I'm Tired Of Being Alone. I like the vocal on that. And, oh, man. It's, it's hard to pick a favorite. I don't really have a favorite, I guess. Yeah. You know? Well, I got to ask. I had to ask. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to pick a, you know, it is like asking, yeah. you know, who's your favorite kid? It's almost impossible because they all meant something to me in a different way. 
They always yeah. bring like a certain time. And if the time was good, I love that song that I recorded right. at that time, you know. And that's how we relate to old music. I think that's why people love to hear old songs because it takes them back to that time when they were younger or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you you said something that made me think of this earlier, Graham. And if if a song is really a good song, it doesn't matter what genre it is, you know. Uh-uh. And so one of my favorite artists, and I, you know, my podcast is about classic rock, but one of my favorite all-time artists is Karen Carpenter. Yeah. Um, and 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 I think I think you're that way. You just you love good music regardless of what pigeonhole it comes from i hope so (laughs) yeah yeah i hope so but as i said i haven't heard anything recently i would sort of go whoa that's good yeah i don't know why it just a lot of the bands just sound like um i don't know like it's it's a rehash of what happened before the the so-called heavy metal bands but with a bit more distortion you know everything's fucking distorted sounds horrible well and and from a uh uh a vocal standpoint, I call it the cookie monster vocals. You know, these yeah, guys, was, yeah, like, yeah. Rah, 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 you know, yeah, it's um, ridiculous. yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. But it's fashionable right now. All the kids love it, you know, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you right. know, I mean, cause it's not your mom's and dad's music. You know, that's right. what rock and roll was all about. Mom and dad won't like it, you know, right. but they did. <laughs> well, Graham, I, you don't know how much this has meant to me. I have thought, since I'm 14, 15 years old, someday I want to talk to Graham Bonnet and ask him about Skyfire. So I had a chance to do that. And, uh, and I really appreciate it. And if there's anything I can help you with in terms of promoting your new album or whatever, just tell everybody when he comes out, (laughs) I will do that. May 13th. May the 13th. 13th. I'm buying it on vinyl. Yes, I'm buying it on vinyl. I'll yes. do a review. Uh, look out for the new video. The app, new and I'll be watching. Uncle John, which is okay. a track from the new album. Thank you for joining me on a Saturday. I'm sure this is the last thing you want to do is talk to a podcaster in his basement. But thank no. you for doing it. I appreciate right, it. And- Absolutely. So again, a big thank you to Graham Bonnet for joining us for that interview. And thanks to each of you for checking out the Classic Guitar Rock podcast. Don't forget to check out the Classic Guitar Rock Time Machine. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock podcast. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock podcast. Oh, sweetie. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're not ordinary people. We're morons. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.